You know, Easter, there's just nothing like it. You guys look better than normal. I love that. That's awesome. And uh, Diane Hodgkins was trying to get me to paint my head an Easter egg color, just thinking that would be really in the spirit of it. And uh, that did not happen, obviously. So, hey, we're super, super glad you're here. If you're new, um, you know, we obviously rent this from uh, Golden West. And so the set design is sort of a combination of them getting ready for a show and us doing what we can do. And so they don't normally have a cross up there, just so you know, Golden West doesn't do that. That's our thing. But if you are thinking that that door in the back is sort of like our image of the garden tomb, no, that's just they're getting ready for a play and just pretend that it's a garden tomb and we'll open up later, okay? All right, so that's all good. I know that uh, you know, a lot of you are excited to be here. Some of you were dragged here. I know that. Every Easter, there's people that are like, oh my gosh, okay, you know, you... I guess I should come, and maybe you're bribed with something afterwards. It's going to be really delicious or something, and so you're here. But I just want you to know, we are so glad you're here, and we think there's nothing better you could do with this hour than think about the things of Easter. And just so that you know, um, my message will consist of two things. One, which will be a huge surprise to you, is I'm going to talk about Easter, okay? So if you're coming for that, you'll be happy. We're going to talk about Easter. But the second thing I want to talk to you about that I think is an interesting slant on Easter is something that you almost never associate with Easter. Uh, But this is something you think about all the time. This is something that actually probably drives you in your motivation maybe more than any other thing. Uh, Mostly you think of it subconsciously. Every once in a while consciously you really make an effort in this direction. And what I'm talking about is our desire to be great. Our desire to be great. And if you think, you know, that's not really an appropriate thing to talk about in church. You know, we're supposed to be humble and we shouldn't be doing that. Here's the problem is a lot of what we do and a lot of uh, what we decide and our priorities that we set really revolves around I want to be great. I want to be great. Nobody thinks I just want to be mediocre. If I can be mediocre, I'm hitting my goal pretty well. Nobody thinks that way. Nobody thinks, I just want to be the also-ran. You know, just average is fine. You know, I just want to be a worm. Uh, you know, here's the, here's the good news. If, if God wanted you to be a worm, guess what? He could have created you as a worm. He didn't want you to be a worm. So we're going to talk about greatness. And I have a lot of illustrations in my life of times when uh, I was driven Uh, to be great. Uh, One of the things that comes to mind is when I was in high school, uh, I was a huge sports fan. And I remember in fifth grade, before I got to high school, I went to my first football game at the high school. And I was so blown away and so overwhelmed by how cool it was, how cool it would be to play on that field, that really from fifth grade on, I had one dream and one thought in my mind. I want to play football at Laguna Beach High School. I want to be a fighting artist. That was my dream, my goal. I know, that was a huge stumbling block the whole way through. The artists, what can I say? So they change it to the breakers. Wow. Anyway, so, you know, that was sort of my big dream. And really, when I think about high school, there was two driving sort of motivations, sports and girls. But the pinnacle of everything was to play football. And I remember my senior year that I'd positioned myself um, to be the starting tailback, which was my dream position, and I'd had a pretty good season the year before, 
And so the coaches were expecting great things, and I was expecting great things, and I'd been super diligent getting ready for the season. Throughout our whole preseason, uh, I literally was not tackled once in any of our scrimmages or anything. I mean, I was so poised, and I was dreaming of such a huge year. And then a week before our first game, uh, we were running some drills, and I ran into the end zone and uh, sort of relaxed and turned around, and somebody fell against my knee, and I heard something pop, and I went down, and I thought, oh, my gosh. And the coach came over and looked at my knee and did a couple things with it, and he said, you've blown it out. And a couple things come to my mind. You know, I was driven to be great, and when that dream was lost, it totally crushed me. And really what it tells us is that we are, there's something hardwired inside of us to want to be great. We work hard to be great. So, you know, if you, if you have a family, you don't want a mediocre family, right? You want a great family, right? You want a great family. You want people to look at the picture of your family and go, wow, that is a good-looking family. That is a great family. I mean, that's kind of how we're wired. Um, we're motivated all the time. We have... Um, we have some single moms from Golden West that are here, and we've collected Easter baskets for them, and we're giving them away right after the service or something like that. And some of you are here. And, you know, when I think about a single mom going back to college and going through, I know what drives you. It's not to be mediocre. You, the kind of sacrifice you're making, you want to be great. You want a great life. You want a great life for you and your kids, and so you're putting the sacrifices in, and that sort of drives you. A lot of you here, I know something about you, uh, most of you work 50 plus hours a week. I just know that about you. And you know, you sort of think, couldn't you do better things with your time? Is that really what's expected in your job? And the answer is no. I just want to be great. I want to be the best at what I do. I want to raise to a new level. Uh, words like, uh, you know, our body. We don't want our body just to be mediocre, right? especially with summer coming and bathing suits and all that, you know, that, that sort of scares us to be mediocre in our body. So, you know, words like P90X and the Adkins diet and all those kinds of things are household names because we want to be great. We want to be great in everything. So the question is, what does God think about that? Does God say, yes, I want you to be great? Or does he roll his eyes and sort of like, oh my gosh, get over yourself? It's just not that important. Well, what I want to do is I want us to look at a story that starts on the night that, uh, right before Jesus dies and ends at the, the tomb, at the resurrection. And I want us to see a really interesting back and forth that Jesus has in particular with one of his disciples. The story is told uh, in Luke in verse, uh, chapter 22, starting in verse 24. And just to set this up, what's happened... Oh, if you need Bibles, raise your hand. We'd be glad to give you a Bible. Just raise your hand if you'd like to look on with that. We'll also bring stuff up on the screen. Um, but in Luke 22, 24, uh, Jesus has uh, washed the disciples' feet, if you're just sort of tracking with us. He has had the Last Supper, um, you know, the, the thing that communion and the Lord's Supper is going to be based on from here on out. Uh, Judas has betrayed him. Judas has left to betray him. 
And uh, a really interesting thing happens that we don't usually pay that much attention to when we're thinking about the night that Jesus died. In Luke 22, 24, it says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be considered the greatest. And so you can see this desire and this pull to be great at something has been around for a long time. The disciples were all over that. That was a super important discussion for them. In fact, this is not an isolated incident. They argue about who's going to be the greatest at least three or four times in the Gospels. At separate times, they argue about it. One time, they are so shameless about this, they send their mother to Jesus to make sure that they get the greatest place of honor uh, when they all get to heaven. You know, let, let my sons be on your right and left hand. And so this was a huge consuming thing for the disciples. They wanted to be great. And uh, what's interesting about it is every time, this is so fascinating, every time they bring it up, it's right after Jesus has said, I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to suffer and die. Just so you know, that's, that's kind of what's in store for me. And you think about the insensitivity of the disciples coming to him right after he said that, and they sort of take that in. They go, oh, yeah, Jesus, that's going to be really tough for you. Yeah. Hey, on another topic, who's the greatest? You know, how can I be the greatest? How can I secure myself to be the greatest? So you have this really sort of interesting dynamic that's going on. Um, there's one guy in particular that I want us to focus on, and it's Peter. And some of you are very familiar with Peter. He's sort of the right-hand man to Jesus. He was the leader of the disciples. Uh, the most prominent person in the New Testament besides Jesus is Peter. And so Peter uh, was involved in all of these kinds of things. This was very important to him. And we know about Peter's background, that he was a fisherman, that he actually wasn't just a fisherman. He owned his own boat which in that day was sort of uh, the same as being a CEO or somebody that led a company. And so Peter, even at a young age, had sort of that kind of a background. He was a leader. Uh, the other disciples just looked to him to lead. He was usually the first one to speak up. Um, there's no question that as you look at Peter's life, Peter had this ambition to be great. Uh, almost all the time you see it just sort of leaking out of him. He wants to be great. He wants to be noticed. He wants to be the first. He wants to be the first to talk. He wants to lead other people. He wants to be the man. Uh, there's this one time where Jesus is walking on the water, and guess who it is that says, I want to walk on the water. It's Peter. Peter's like, I want to do that. I, you know, Jesus, you and me, let's go for a stroll across the lake. This will be so awesome. So Peter had this whole idea of being great. Now, here's the thing about Peter, and this is uh, true to him. This is true to us. His greatness was based on his abilities. In other words, when he looked at being great, his thought was, well, I want to go as far as my abilities can carry me. And he saw himself as a guy with a lot of abilities. He saw himself as a dynamic personality as the, other, the kind other people would follow and listen to. And so his dreams really rose to, to the level of what he considered to be uh, his abilities and, and his, his uh, experiences and the things that he brought to the table. That's kind of how he did it. So in other words, he didn't think about things beyond his abilities. He thought about his abilities. His abilities, he felt, were to be the right-hand man of Jesus. It was Jesus was getting all these... Uh, accolades, Jesus was becoming very famous, Jesus had a lot of people following him around, 
After a while, people believed that Jesus was the Messiah, which means, and from a Jewish viewpoint, this meant that he was going to lead a rebellion against Rome, who occupied Israel at the time, and, and Jesus was going to kick them out, and he was going to lead all of Israel into prominence in the world. And I think Peter looked at that opportunity. He looked at what it would mean to be the right-hand man of the Messiah, of Jesus. And he said, that's me. Who could he pick better than me? I mean, I'm dynamic. Other people listen to me. You know, I've got leadership abilities. All these things, I'm an entrepreneur. All these things are true of me. That's my dream. That's how great I'm going to be. And, you know, the reality is, when I think about it, too, uh, I tend to dream about greatness in terms of what I bring to the table, according to my abilities. So I don't think impossible things. I don't think, oh, yes, I'm going to lead the Lakers to an NBA championship. I don't think that. I did at one time, but I don't think that anymore. <laughs> You know, I don't think about being the president of the United States. Uh, not necessarily that that's a dream of mine anyway, but I mean, I don't think about those sorts of things because I look at myself and I go, that's just not possible. We tend to limit our greatness according to our abilities. And that was one thing that Peter did. Here's the second thing that Peter did that we do. His dream to be great was all about him. Now you think, well, of course, all of our dreams to be great is all about us. I mean, you don't dream for somebody else to be great. You don't picture that. It's always about us. And this was true for Peter because Peter, um, it looked like he was all about Jesus. But the reality is when you look at some of the stories, especially where he and Jesus have a rub, what Jesus is pointing out is, Peter, you're acting like it's all about me. I'm calling you out on that. It's not all about me in your mind. It's all about Peter. It's all about what Peter's getting out of this. There's one time where Jesus, again, talks to the disciples, and he says, I'm going to suffer and die. And here's what's going through Peter's mind. One thing he's probably thinking is, I hate it when Jesus goes negative like this. Doesn't he understand that if we're going to get a following and really create a big stir around here, you just can't go negative. It's so bad on the PR to keep talking about suffering and dying when you're trying to get a following. But here's really, I think, what Peter is going through Peter's mind. And you know how I know probably what's going through Peter's mind? It's probably what would have been going through my mind. Is, man, if Jesus goes down, what does that do to me? I mean, I'm like his right-hand man. If he suffers and dies, that does not bode well for me. And so in this one occasion, Peter takes Jesus aside and he says, hey, Jesus, we've got to stop it with the negativity. It's just not working. we got to stop talking about suffering and dying. That's, just, that's not going to happen on my watch. And remember how Jesus responds to him. He looks Peter straight in the eyes. And I mean, just imagine, these eyes probably drilled through Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind. You only have your own concerns in mind. I mean, it was, it drilled into Peter. I mean, it was enough that it was recorded Years and years later, that conversation. We tend to be very self-centered, and maybe you think, well, that's the only way you can be. If you're dreaming of being great, that's the only way you can do it. 
But here's what's so interesting, is after this dispute arises among the disciples, and Peter, we're going to find out, is right in the middle of this dispute, Jesus takes a moment to say, listen, let me give you some teaching points about being great. And he does that. Right after this, he gives some teaching points, and these are so good for us to listen to. So if you look in Luke, uh, down to verse 25, um, there's sort of three surprises that come out when Jesus teach about, teaches about what, what it means to be great. And here's, the, here's maybe the first surprise that isn't even one of the three. Jesus is all over people being great. He does not say, I don't want you to be great. Even when they bring it up at this really inopportune time because Jesus has just said, I'm going to suffer and die. And they go, yeah, but who's the greatest? You know, he, he challenges them on their attitude about greatness, but he never says, you got to stop talking about being great. It doesn't matter. God doesn't care. Or God's against that. He never says that. In fact, he takes time to say, hey, if you're going to be consumed with greatness, that's fine. Let me point out to you how you become great. And so he says in verse 25, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, uh, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? And the, the answer is obvious. In the world's standpoint, it's the one who's at the table. It's not the one who serves. And then Jesus sort of twists this. He says, is it not the one who is at the table, but I among you uh, as one who serves? In other words, he says, you know, the greatest one is always the one at the table, but here I am. I just washed your feet. Here I am serving you. Is there something you're missing about this? And here's the first surprise he's going to say. If you want to be great, you have to be great God's way. God has a way to be great. You have a natural way that you move in. Your natural way is almost always the opposite of what God would say. And here's what we know. We know that in our world, the people that are great are the people who are served, right? The more people you have serving you in this world, the more people who attend to you, the more people that you can boss around, the more people that are at your beck and call, in our world, we say, that's somebody who's great. That's somebody who's great. Now, Jesus is going to look at that and he goes, let me just turn that upside down because that's not how God sees it. God doesn't see that as great. God sees as great the one who serves. He sees the one who actually comes and lifts somebody else up as the person who's great. And this is such an interesting thing and super important for us is greatness in God's economy always has to do first and foremost with our heart. And it's the question, is our heart humble or is our heart proud? And what Jesus is going to argue for is he's going to say, even though pride in this world may look like it works, it may look like it gets people ahead, it may look like it earns respect and other people may think you're great. Here's what Jesus is going to say. He say, that's not great. And you know what? If you're totally honest with yourself, you will know that's true. You will know that the more proud you become, the more self-centered you become, the more it's all about you, you will know that's not the kind of person I want to be. That's not who I want Kevin Pike to be is the most selfish person that I've ever met. I don't want to be that guy. Uh, there's a house that is down in Newport Harbor, and it's not as pronounced as it once was, 
But uh, it, it's an interesting house. It's a huge mansion, and it's right on the mouth going out uh, by Big Corona. And uh, the house is really two houses with about one foot in between the two houses. But you can tell that the house looks like it's the same house. And let me tell you the story about it. There were two brothers uh, who had this amazing sibling rivalry. And their goal was to be better than their, their brother, both of them. And so they went back and forth, and they grew into adults, and they continued to have this rivalry. And it really was always the question is, who's going to serve the other one? Who's going to be the best? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to serve the other one? And uh, they, were, they came from money. And when uh, their dad died, he, uh, he gave the house to his boys. And he said, this house is for you. And in his wisdom, he said, I want you to figure out what to do with the house. And there was such rivalry between the two that they took that house and they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars dividing it down the middle. They actually, at one point, had painted it totally different colors. It looked freaky because they wanted it known that we will not serve each other. We will not work with each other. No way. And you know, that house, every time I drive past it, that house is a testament to somebody that says, it's all about me. Even when it comes to my brother, it's all about me. I will bow to no one. I will serve no one. It's all about me. Now contrast that to an event that happened at the Special Olympics a few years ago. Uh, two people out of 10 are lining up to run 100 meters. And it's always sort of the big dramatic moment of the Special Olympics, just like the normal Olympics. And so these two people that are lined up next to each other uh, don't know each other. And uh, the crowd always has to hush because there's usually one or two people that are blind that are running, and they have to be able to hear their coaches. And so the whole crowd gets silent when the 100 goes off. The 100 goes off, and these two people start running. And one of them is clearly a better runner than the other. And he's down the track, and he's easily going to win. He's way ahead. And the one who's struggling and sort of behind finally trips and falls and lets out a wail. And the whole crowd can hear it because it's stone silent. And the guy who is about to win the race hears it. And he stops running before he breaks the tape. He turns around. He sees that somebody has fallen down 50 yards back. He looks at the tape to finish. He looks back around at the person who's fallen. And he starts jogging back toward the fallen friend. Gets there, picks this woman up, this girl up, dusts her off, and they run and finish the hundred, holding hands. And as soon as they cross the line, now they're the last ones to cross the line. The crowd explodes in celebration. So let me ask you, who's great? Who's great? Are, is it the brothers that say, I bow to no one? Or is it the person that can win that says, you know what? It's not all about me. It's about serving other people. That's really what is great. And you know what? Here's what's so true about that story. You know the answer, and I know the answer. We forget it a lot, don't we? We think it's all about us winning, all about us being served. And Jesus points out here, no way. That's not what's great. If you want to be great, you're going to be the servant of all. That's what Jesus says. That's the first surprise. You want to be great? You've got to do it God's way. God's way is you serve. 
And here's the most amazing thing. He says, when you serve, you don't have to worry about lifting yourself up or exalting yourself or making yourself great because you know who's on the job when you humble yourself? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and who will lift you up? Who is it? God, the Lord. God's on it. He says, listen, you're going to do that? You're going to forego winning the hundred and come back and help somebody? Let me just tell you, I'm on that now. Now I'm going to make you great. Now that's all about what I'm going to do for you. You can take it in your own hands, and that's all up to you. It says the proud, God stands against the proud. But the humble he lifts up. You want to be great? You want God to work on it for you? It's all humility. It's serving. It's God's way. That's the first surprise. Here's the second surprise, and this is even, to me, more staggering. And we're going to talk about this more next week. We decided we're going to split this talk into two talks. So we're going to talk about dreams next week and trying to realize dreams that God's given us, and we're going to hit that. And I'll hit this more next week, but I want to at least get it out before you. And it's this truth. God's dream is always bigger than your dream. You're worried because you think his dream for you is smaller than your dream, and you don't know you want to trust him with it. We all do that. But here's the truth of it. His dream for you is bigger than what you thought. He says these words in verse 28. says, Um, You are those who have stood by me in my trials. In other words, the disciples are standing by Jesus as things are getting worse. And he says, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Let me just tell you really quickly what happens. And this is a little bit technical, and if you want to spin out for a second, you you need a little break. Just daydream here for a second. Let me explain this to some of you, and then we'll bring you all back for the kind of the point, okay? So here's kind of what happens here. It's interesting, the tenses. The tense, the first tense that Jesus says when he says, I confer on you a kingdom, is a present tense. And what he's saying is, I'm about to leave. And when I leave, from a human standpoint, I'm not going to be here to run my kingdom. I'm not going to be here to spread what God wants to have on the earth. I'll be here spiritually, but I'm not going to be here physically. And basically what he's saying is, Peter, guys, I'm giving this responsibility to you. Peter, you're not the right-hand man. You are the leader. You see, Jesus' dream for Peter was bigger than Peter's dream for himself. And what Jesus knew was going to happen to the kingdom was so far beyond what Peter ever could imagine. So the first thing is there's a present tense of right now in this life, I've got a dream that so far surpasses your dream. Will you trust me on that? I'm not going to put you in some kind of hole and just make you feel rotten all the time. I've got a dream. But here's the second thing. The second part of this verse is in the future tense when he talks about the end times. This is in heaven. And he makes this kind of strange statement that you're going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, there's a lot of debate about what specifically that means, and it's not so important for us, but here's the big point. God doesn't see your greatness only in terms of this lifetime. He sees you as somebody that's going to live 70 or 80 years, maybe shorter, maybe longer. And then you're going on forever. And when he thinks about your greatness, it always has to do with the full picture of who you are. And the most amazing thing is he says, what happens in this lifetime actually has a big impact on on sort of the greatness standard of the life to come. And so God's always mindful of that. He isn't just thinking, can I make Kevin great 
until he dies. He's always thinking, no, I just want to make Kevin great, period. I want him to be great here, and I want him to be great here. I want his greatness to go on and on and on. That's what I want. That's always what he thinks. He always thinks in terms of eternity when he thinks of you. His greatness for you is beyond your greatness. Now, you have to take that on trust a lot of times. Because here's the third and final surprise. God's dream for your greatness always has a death and then always has a resurrection. This is so true that you, and really I've looked because I'm intrigued with this principle. There is not a person in the Bible as great as all the people who think about Abraham and Moses and David and you know, Peter and Paul and all the people that you think, all the biggies, every single one of them experienced a death in their dream to be great before God made them truly great. And here's the reason. You know, I don't want to project onto God his motivation, but I think he's saying, I don't want your ideas of grandeur to get in the way of my ideas of grandeur. So we'll just eliminate your idea. We'll just make sure that you don't put any more hope in what you think is great anymore. In Peter's case, Peter, the right-hand man of Jesus, said, I will stand with you, Jesus, no matter what happens, no matter how bad it gets. He swears this to him, and 12 hours later, he's denying that he even knows Jesus. When his life is actually on the line, he goes, I don't know the guy. I swear I don't know the guy. The final time he tells somebody, it's a teenage girl who says, weren't you with him? And he cusses her out and he says, I swear I don't know the man. And at that moment, a signal that Jesus had said was going to happen, a crow, uh, a rooster crowing, went off and Peter realized he had totally failed at being great. He was as low as he could be. It says he wept bitterly. Have you been there? Have you had a dream of yours die? Maybe it was a marriage that ended, and you had always dreamed of a marriage that would be just magnificent. And then one day you discovered, you know what? I'm divorced. That's not what I wanted. Maybe it's a dream for a certain relationship with your children. Maybe it's a dream that your children would grow up and something happened, and one of your children did not grow up. Maybe it was a dream in your work, and you worked, you went to school, you dreamed of it, you were on the fast pace, and all of a sudden something happened, and it got destroyed. Maybe it was a dream of your character, and you always thought, I'm above this kind of sin, I'm above this kind of problem, and then one day you wake up in the wrong bed, or you wake up with an addiction, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. I can't believe that I did that. Maybe it was a dream that you'd live a long life and you're sitting here right now and the doctors say, you know, you've got a year, maybe two. Dreams die. They do. Dreams to be great die. And you can look at God and shake your fist and say, I hate you for doing this to me. You could have changed this. Why are you doing this? Why would you do this to me? Don't you think I love you enough? Didn't I prove that I'd follow you? And God says, it's not about that. It's not about me punishing you or hurting you. 
It's about getting your mind into an area where you can see what true greatness is. And all greatness starts with a death. It just does. And it was the same with Jesus. His greatness really starts at Good Friday when he dies. His full greatness. He says, when I was fully glorified, when I became everything I was created to be, it was on the day that I died. But here's what I love about Peter's story is it does not end there. And in fact, I'm going to switch over just to Mark's gospel to just finish this thing up. And here's the reason. Mark was not one of the disciples. Mark actually was not there when Jesus rose from the dead. He hadn't even become a Christian yet. Peter told Mark the story of Jesus. Mark wrote down Peter's gospel. So these are Peter's words. This is what Peter says. He illustrates, as Caleb read, that they came to the tomb that morning and it was empty and the women looked in and there was an angel, uh, two angels, one angel spoke. There were angels that were there. And one of the angels said, don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He has risen. Yes, miracle. Yes, unpredictable. Yes, you never saw this coming, even though he told you. Yes, that's what's happened here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. I'll tell you what I love about this story. That and Peter is not included in any of the other Gospels. All the Gospels tell this story. None of them separate out Peter. Do you think that it meant something to Peter, that after he'd had his biggest failure, after his dream to be great had been crushed, that the angel said, don't just tell all the disciples, make sure Peter gets word. He is not out. He is not a loser. He did not lose his chance for greatness. You tell the disciples and make sure Peter hears hey, I'm going on before you. You're going to be the leader of my team, Peter. You think it's all over. It's just starting, my friend. It's just starting. What it ultimately came down for Peter and what it ultimately comes down for you and me is will we trust God's way of greatness? Will we hold so hard to what we want to be to be great? Will we hold so hard to our method of making ourselves great and pushing other people down and it's all about me? Will I continue to have these small visions of greatness that are only as big as my own ambitions and my own dreams and my own abilities? Am I going to stay locked in that? Or am I going to finally let go of it? A lot of times it's because our hand got slapped and we realized we could not make our dreams come true. Will I let go of that and trust God and say, God, you know what? I'm in your hands. You make me great. You're the one that created me. You're the one that says you have a dream for greatness that so far outshines my dream for greatness. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to dream your dream, God, for me. And you know, when that happens, I'm just telling you, miracles, miracles, absolute miracles, take place. And we are taken to a place we'd never get on our own. Let me show you a few examples of this. 
turn your eyes to the screen.